0: This is Rev. Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Camp Brown, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. With the passing of Christmas each year, we so often are prone to leave the narrative of Jesus' life and activities and pick them up again in sort of a hodgepodge fashion in the days of the new year. Today I want to make an attempt to have some continuity between the Christmas story and the later life and ministry of Jesus. First, let's return briefly to the Christmas story as we let our minds get an anchor point so we can move ahead. You remember that Herod had given an order for the wise men to return to him and tell him where the child was so he could go and worship him too. But when the wise men found Jesus, they were warned of God not to return to Herod. So they went back to their own country another way. Now, when Herod saw what had happened, he became violently angry, and he gave that cruel, inhumane order that all the children in Bethlehem and the coast thereof, who were two years of age and under, must be killed. That's Matthew 2, verse 16. But before this cruel order was carried out, God has sent an angel to Joseph telling him to take Mary and Jesus and flee to Egypt and to wait there until God sent further word. Just how long this little family remained in Egypt is a matter of speculation. Could have been only for a few months or perhaps as much as two years. But when Herod died, God instructed Joseph to return to the land of Palestine. As we read in Matthew chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, we get the impression that Joseph planned to settle down in Judea, but God's messenger, an angel, gave him instructions otherwise. Therefore, they returned to their former home in Nazareth. At this point, the curtain of silence falls upon the life of Jesus until he begins his public ministry. Some call this the silent years or the years of obscurity. We have very little information about those years. Only once is this curtain parted to give us a brief glimpse of the young boy Jesus. Our human curiosity is such that we long for more details as to these early years. And so it's not surprising then that some stories have arisen which try to fill in the details of those years. Some of these stories are included in what we call the Apocrypha. That's not in our Bible, but that's extra Bible reading. There are many ridiculous stories in the Apocrypha about the boy Jesus. One such story says that Jesus would make birds of clay, pitch them into the air, and they would fly away. Other stories are just as fantastic and untrue, such as the one that says that when Jesus' playmates angered him, in a fit of anger, he would turn them into little goats. <laughs> well, not true. Luke 2, verse 40 does tell us something of those early years of Jesus' life, though. And, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Even though the scriptures are silent, there are some things that we can rightly conclude about these silent years of Jesus. His home was that of a peasant carpenter, as Joseph was skilled in this trade. Every Jewish lad was required to to learn a trade. It's a rather safe assumption, I think, that under Joseph's wise guidance, Jesus learned the trade of carpentry. Certainly Mary, Jesus' mother, had a great influence on Jesus. She was a woman whom the scriptures describe as pure and sensitive of soul. Mary deserves great credit for instilling in her little boy Jesus many of the qualities he would later reveal. Jesus grew up in a normal home. After his birth, there were other children born to Joseph and Mary. His half-brothers were named James, Judas, or Jude, Joseph, and Simon. There were at least two half-sisters. Their names are not given, though, in the Bible. You might remember that both James and Jude became leaders in the early church. In fact, each man wrote an epistle which bears his name in the New Testament. Note Matthew 13, verses 53 through 56, the basis of what I've just said. Some Bible scholars maintain that there is strong evidence that the brothers and sisters of Jesus did not really understand him during those early days there in the home. All normal Jewish lads lads, uh, were like Jesus. He received his education first in the home, then in the synagogue under the teaching of a scribe. And this was mainly the matter of learning the scriptures. Jesus went through all the normal channels like this. It's rather obvious that Jesus spoke three different languages. He quoted the Old Testament scriptures from the original Hebrew, not from the Greek translations. He spoke in Aramaic, which was the current tongue among the Jews. And surely Jesus also spoke in Greek, since it was commonly spoken in Palestine at that time. The later teachings of Jesus indicate his vast understanding of outdoor life. Even today, the young boys in and around Jerusalem spend most of their days out of doors, Since the house is usually uh, mainly for sleeping and for refuge from bitterly cold weather, Jesus must have spent a lot of time wandering in the hill country where he learned much about nature. He knew the habits of birds and of animals. Farm life was common to him as his parables often indicate. The early boyhood life of Jesus was not in any, any respect a sheltered existence. He grew up in and around the village of Nazareth, which had a reputation for being a very wicked town. Jesus knew from observation the sordid effects of sin in the life of a person. We may well imagine Jesus went often to his mother, with his mother, to the well in Nazareth to draw water. Until recent years, this one well was the only source of water for this whole town. And uh, I remember when we went to the Holy Land, they showed us this well, which, of course, is very naturally named Mary's Well. There's another area in which Jesus was surely educated. For a person who never set foot outside of Palestine, except going to Egypt as an infant, Jesus had a great knowledge of the world in which he lived. As a lad, he might well have sat on many occasions on one of the high hills around Galilee and gazed off into the distance at the Mediterranean as he gazed at the beautiful blue waters and thought of people way off, people afar. Also, the caravan route brought people constantly through Nazareth. No doubt Jesus heard many stories of distant lands. All these things served to develop in Jesus a view of God's great wide world. This helped him to avoid any temptation toward a narrow Jewish nationalism. The heart of Jesus went out to all people, everywhere, to all nations. During all the early years of Jesus' life, Joseph and Mary made annual visits to Jerusalem for the Passover. Whether or not they took Jesus with them is not known. But when he reached the age of 12, Jesus became what's known as bar mitzvah or the son of the law. He began to observe the ordinances of Jewish worship. And so at age 12, Jesus did accompany his parents on this trip to the great feast. While they were there, Jesus spent much time in the temple. It was the custom in those days to travel in sort of a caravan. When the people left the city, Joseph assumed that young Jesus was probably with his mother and the women. Mary likewise assumed that Jesus was with Joseph and the men. He might well have been with either group. but after going one day's journey out of the city, it was a custom for families to get together for bidding down. And it was then that they discovered Jesus was not with either group. He was missing. So I'm sure in somewhat uh, panic, returning to Jerusalem, they found Jesus. Luke verse chapter 2, verse 46 says that it was three days that had expired in all when they found Him. That's from the time they left Jerusalem, probably. Jesus was in the temple. He was listening to the teachers and asking questions. His hungry mind was feasting on this intellectual, spiritual experience. And when Jesus was asked about why he had done this thing to his mother and father, you remember he replied, How is it that you sought me? Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? Some translations render this, Don't you know I had to be in my father's house? But like so many situations today between parents and children, Jesus' parents did not understand what he meant by what he said. Look at this story in Luke chapter 2, verses 49 and 50. This statement shows that Jesus was surely aware of his unique relationship with his Heavenly Father. Was this just dawning on him now, or had he known it all along? Well, here again, the scriptures are silent, but in all likelihood, there was never a time in Jesus' conscious life when this awareness was not present with him. Jesus did return to Nazareth with his parents, and he was still under their control. Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52 tell us, And he went down with them, and came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and man. Did you notice that it says that he went down with them? When you go from Jerusalem anywhere, you go down. Although if you look at a map, Nazareth is above Jerusalem, but you go up to Jerusalem and you go down from Jerusalem anywhere. Yes, Jesus learned. It was in keeping with his complete identity as a man, apart from sin, but he did not know everything to begin with. How else could he have learned or increased in wisdom? From this point on in the Gospels, we have no mention of Joseph. Tradition tells us that he died when Jesus was only a young man. And if that be true, it's likely that Jesus assumed the duties of a man at a young age, thereby becoming the carpenter of Nazareth and the breadwinner in the family being the oldest son, with at least six other brothers and sisters in the family. At any rate, the Savior of men was a hard-working artisan among his neighbors there in Nazareth, until one day God whispered in his heart that the time of his public ministry had arrived. Jesus spent those few brief years of his public ministry going about doing good, telling people that he had come to give them life, and life more abundantly. Those who received him came to know what life really was. But it was not just a new philosophy that Jesus came to teach. He came to live, to love, and ultimately to die. Jesus loved the world so much that he gave himself to save our lives. The gift that he gave killed him william adams brown tells the following story many many years ago a remarkable surgical operation was formed in new york city it was a case of blood transfusion which many years ago was the first of its kind so far as i know to be successfully performed in the annals of the profession the subject of this operation was a little baby little baby girl, only a few days old, whose life was ebbing away drop by drop from an internal hemorrhage. All the resources of the physician in charge were unable to control it. As a last desperate chance, it was resolved to attempt a transfusion of blood from the father to the child and so they were laid side by side on stretchers, and the father's arm was laid bare for more than six inches. An artery was extracted. With infinite pains and patience, this artery was connected with a vein in the baby's leg, and the flow of blood was allowed to pass from the father to the baby daughter. Those who witnessed this operation described the scene that followed as one of the most dramatic in the history of surgery. The child lay by her father's side, a motionless object, white as could be. To all outward appearances, she was dead. But presently, when the blood started flowing, a faint tinge of pink appeared on the rim of one of her ears and then a glow covered her whole body. Her skin grew normal. The fingers and toes took on a rosy hue, and suddenly her lips opened with a lusty cry, a cry which has been sounding in the ears of fathers and mothers ever since parenthood began. It was not that father's suffering that saved his child's life. It was his life's blood which did it. This is what Jesus gave for you and me, his life's blood, and it cost him his life. To this end, Jesus came into the world, and for this cause, for you and me, he died. Surely, our response to such a great love as this is to say, with as one hymn writer said, Jesus paid it all, all to him i owe oh god we have no words to thank you for what it means that you gave your life's blood for each of us we thank you lord for loving us so much that even while we're dead in our trespasses and sins jesus came to us to give us life abundant and eternal may our lives reflect our gratitude not only this day, but in all these days to come in this new year. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.